0: One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophecy prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy, one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you, as are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Right, what a passage. Great passage. A lot in there and a lot of things that I'm sure if you like me, you're reading it going, okay, what's that um, all about? And um, so our hope really today is that we can really unpack some of the issues specifically about prophesying and prophecy to get a clearer understanding of what the, the Bible teaches about it. And um, so we're all on a journey with this. None of us see 100% clearly as, you know, We really want to be the heart of this class, but maybe learning the good questions to ask um, so we can kind of get stuck in and and understand more for ourselves. And so similarly to the last class, I want to uh, begin with that second question, uh, which is what information might we need to faithfully read and understand this passage? In order to do that, um, I think again, uh, there are four things that we want to look at. And just like last time, um, but a bit differently because we need to spend the most of the time here. Um, the first one of those four is context: where are we up to specifically in the story of the Bible? But more specifically, where are we up to in the in the in the story of prophecy in the Bible? And to understand where we're up to, we really need to go back to the Old Testament and um, really understand something of what the Old Testament teaches about prophecy. Um, there are three different words that are used for prophets in the Old Testament. Um, Two are a bit less common, and one is more common. The two that are less common are the words hoseir, which means like a a visionary, someone who sees something in the future, roer, which is the oldest of the terms, which means kind of like a seer, you you see it a lot in like the books of Samuel, means kind of like to envision or see things that people couldn't see. And the most common one that we see um, is the word navi, or navi, uh, which probably means something like to announce. Um, to announce or kind of declare vital information. Um, and in the, in the first uh, books of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through to Psalms, we see lots and lots of prophets. Um, we see prophets like Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, Huldah, just to name a few of the prophets that we see. Um, prophets, importantly, we need to remember, were not the regular teachers of God's word. Um, That was not what the prophets were. That was the role of priests in the Old Testament. Priests were the regular teachers of God's word. A prophet was something different. The basic function of a prophet in the Old Testament is as a spokesman for God. Someone who would speak the very words of God himself. And so you see that common phrase that you read in the Old Testament over and over again. Thus says the Lord. Um, They address issues in the future. And they address issues in the present. But overwhelmingly, the things that prophets had to say were not actually in the future were things pertaining to the present situation of the people of God. Um, So we see things like in the book of Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he's addressing the people in regards to their situation, which is that they don't have a king, that everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes, and they're constantly getting defeated and overwhelmed by their enemies. That's his situation he's preaching into. Hosea and Amos, we see social injustice is rife in god's people and they're 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 talking about god's words for that present situation which is there's judgment coming um isaiah describes judgment that's coming in the present as punishment uh through the assyrians in uh 722 bc and then in the future through the babylonians um that's going to come prophesying that there's uh judgment coming into their present situation habakkuk talks about the ways of God to the people of God leading up to the Babylonians coming and capturing uh, the city of Jerusalem. Malachi talks about the problems of rebuilding post-exile and the flaws of the community of God, even after the disciplining of the exile that they've been in under God. We see these prophets talking about real situations, talking about some things in the future, but by and large talking about the present, actually, talking about how God speaks to the situation in the present. And we see the last of the Old Testament prophets actually in the New Testament. And the last of the Old Testament prophets we read about is actually John the Baptist. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets speaking the very words of God. Now, when we get to prophecy in the New Testament, we see something quite different. Um, In the New Testament, we see prophets are replaced by the apostles. Apostle means someone who's sent. um, The sent ones. And those apostles are the ones who are sent Directly by Jesus, who knew Jesus pers- personally, and so they speak authoritatively about Jesus. Um, they witnessed his life, they were close friends, they had met with Jesus personally. Um, one passage that really describes it and sums it up should be on your sheet, and that's Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, right at the very beginning. The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So in the former days, um, God used prophets to speak to his people, Um, the Old Testament prophets we see, who are constantly pointing to the coming of Jesus. And the last last days, he uses his son Jesus himself, um, who's come and given the final message about God. But interestingly, just pausing on that point and just asking another question, um, it's interesting because most naturally, Jesus with his 12 disciples, you would assume that he would choose the word prophets for his disciples and not apostles. And yet he chooses apostles. And and I don't know if the questions ever cross your mind. Why does Jesus avoid calling his disciples prophets, as would be the most natural thing for him to call if they're carrying a message specifically from God to, to people? Jesus himself being God himself. Why does he call them apostles instead of prophets? And one reason um, is that prophet in the first century didn't carry the same meaning as it did back in the Old Testament as one who who speaks uh, God's very words. But it had come to mean something quite different in the first century in Palestine, and that is more like one who speaks under some sort of kind of external influence whether that be spiritual or or philosophical. Um, You see, uh, similarly, in in the New Testament, the apostles are occasionally referred to as prophets, but only when the external influence of the Holy Spirit is in view. Um, We read this right at the end of Revelation, Revelation is a classic example, also in the book of Ephesians. I'll just read you the one from Revelation because it kind of summarizes it right at the end of the Bible in uh, Revelation chapter 22. The sort of reference I'm talking about. Um, In chapter 22 verses 6 and 7, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold... I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So, John is referred to as a prophet, or what he's giving is a prophecy, in the context of the work of the Holy Spirit. um, Another classic one is Ephesians 2.20, which talks again about the the work of the Spirit in building uh, together the church, and similarly, uh, the the way in which God gives prophets and other things um, to his church. It's this idea of some sort of external influence leading to speaking the words of God, which is not the Old Testament understanding of what a prophet is. Um, and of course, the other reason why Jesus doesn't refer to his disciples as prophets is what we alluded to before, and that is that that Jesus is the final message from God. His message the gospel is the final work, and they're going to speak authoritatively about God's final word. Um, and they're all carrying the same message in that sense as well. They're all, in a way, prophets from God. And similarly for us... In the New Testament, Jesus kind of uh, indirectly refers to us all as prophets, in a sense, of the Old Testament prophet word of someone carrying the words of God. Um, there's this interesting passage in Luke chapter seven where um, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist who's been killed, and um, Jesus says, "Even the least, uh, well, there's been no one born of women who's uh, who's greater than John the Baptist, right? So no one is as good, great as." John the Baptist, in context, as a prophet in the whole of the Bible is what Jesus is saying. But the least in the kingdom of God, says Jesus, is greater than him as a prophet in context. Have you thought about it? The least in the kingdom of God, the worst possible Christian, I mean, there's got to be the worst possible Christian out there somewhere, the weakest faith, the most all over the shop Christian, the least in the kingdom of God is greater as a prophet in context what Jesus is saying than John the Baptist. Why is that? Because the message is greater. We have the greatest message ever, that John the Baptist had the message, look, he's coming. We have the message, look, he has come, and this is how you can come to know him. So that's why Jesus avoids calling his disciples prophets. And similarly, at a similar point that I want to make to, as we get so sort of stuck into looking at our passage, is prophecy that we're going to read about is really different from Old Testament prophet prophecy, um, as we read through First Corinthians. All right, so where are we up to in the story of prophecy in the Old Testament? Well, where are we up to similarly in the story of Corinthians, um, the book itself? Well, we've looked at chapter twelve, which has come before, where Jesus is—I mean, Paul is talking uh, to the Corinthian church about how there's this. Holy, same Holy Spirit that empowers everyone. There's many different gifts that are given, but we're unified in that In that, there's the same Spirit that empowers all the gifts. We're we're like this body that's got many different parts and roles and functions, but we're bound together. Similarly, in chapter 13, it goes on to say, yeah, but you're boasting in all your gifts, but what's most important is, are you using them in love? Are you using them to build others up? Are you using them to really serve and bless others? They're a waste of space if you're not using it in love. Is what Paul's basic message is before we move on to our chapter. Well, context. Second thing that we need to think about is purpose. Um, Important questions. Who was it written to? Why was it written? What's the purpose behind Paul writing in 1 Corinthians? And what we read about in 1 Corinthians is that Paul is writing to a church that's a mess. This church is all over the place. They've allowed the the values of their city to infiltrate into their church. They're sexually immoral, they're greedy, they're infighting, they're proud. The the values of the city that they're living in have penetrated into the church. And Paul begins his letter by saying, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. Paul casts this vision from Joel uh, chapter 2, which talks about... um, this worldwide worship where people in every place all around the world are calling on God's name, are worshiping Him in spirit and truth, just like Jesus talks about in John chapter four. And and Paul's basic point is you guys are called to be these same people. Yeah, you're saved in Jesus, but but you're letting the values of of the world seep into your church. Let me paint a picture of what true worship is like. Worldwide worship, the people that you're really meant to be. You're called to be saints. You're saints, you're those that are set apart in Christ, but called to be saints at the same time, called to be a holy people. Um, And that's what Paul is is writing about in his letter to Corinthians. So that's the purpose of the book as a whole. And that's where our understanding of prophecy fits in. He wants them to understand how to be true worshippers, how to really worship God in the midst of the city that they're in. Um, Thirdly, and the third uh, thing to think about um, is genre. Whereas last uh, time we saw that in Genesis, um, genre is a really complicated question and um, thing that a lot of people spend time thinking about. The genre of, of our chapter is really pretty clear and that is that it's a pastoral epistle which just simply means uh, a letter written by a pastor, like a pastoring letter. Um, so he's writing this letter to the church to try and shepherd them, to help them with some of the issues that they're, they're going through. Um, the next important thing to think about is other relevant passages. Where else in Scripture... Uh, do we learn uh, about passages that can help us understand this? We're going to touch on this as we go through and uh, look at uh, the different questions I want to answer. But one we've already looked at already, which is Hebrews 1 one to 2, which should be on your sheet. Um, another one is Luke seven twenty four, which we talked about. Um, that's the passage about um, Jesus and John the Baptist. Okay, third question. Let's move on from there. What can we learn about prophecy... Um, from reading this passage Um, well the first thing that we can read uh, clearly from reading this passage um, is that prophecy Paul's understanding of prophecy is that it's not authoritative and we see that in a few different places Um, you see the scriptures are breathed out by God 2 Timothy 3.16 they're inspired by God God's breath goes into them they are the very words of God But in this type of prophecy, it's different from Old Testament prophecy in that it's not something that's authoritative. Um, We see that in verses 29 through 32. Paul talks about people weighing prophecy. He talks about people evaluating it. Um, He writes, let two or three prophets speak, verse 29, and let the others weigh what is said. You see, if we were talking about the very words of God that are authoritative, um, there'd be no need to weigh. There'd be no need for that. Because it it would be authority of word from God. It would be something akin to, thus says the Lord. No purpose or place for weighing it or evaluating it. But that's not what we're seeing here. Um, Mature Christians are called to weigh it, according to Paul. Thirdly, Corinthians, uh, uh, in context, we can understand, are calling out all sorts of different things in church. They're calling out bits and pieces everywhere. It's probably kind of a chaotic sort of situation that was akin to worship of idols in their city. Um, and confusion great confusion happening and Paul says to him in verse 33 "Yet yeah, God's not a God of confusion he's a God of order and peace and things should be orderly and things should be and things should be weighed, and things should be structured um, he wants their meetings to be ordered uh, another important verse that helps us understand that prophecy is not authoritative it comes from um, the book of Thessalonians uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 19 through 21 is a wider thing but Paul's basic point um, is, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. See, to the people in Thessalonica, they were people that were really word based people. They, they weighed things that, that people said to them. They had a tendency towards, um, writing off prophecy altogether, saying, yeah, like, I don't think, you know, this is just foolishness, really. And Paul says, don't, don't despise it, but test it. If it was authoritative word from God, there'd be no place for testing it. We should just receive it. But that's not what prophecy in the New Testament is. Secondly, so firstly, it's not authoritative. Secondly, it's called to be, or it's meant to be spontaneous. Wayne Grudem defines prophecy as this. New Testament prophecy is, according to Wayne Grudem, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Um, In our understanding in the New Testament, it's not preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching is carefully prepared explanations of Scripture. We're going to look at why that's not the case. Um, uh, several reasons. One is that it's not in the semantic range of the word. Prophecy means something very different. Um, also, when we look at the use of how it's used in, in Scripture, it does not refer to preaching and teaching, although some people uh, have understood that before. Um, and some people here may even hold to that. Um Paul sees a revelation to Christians in the midst of their gatherings. Um, read with me verse 30 um, of our passage. Paul says this He says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Um, the point is, it's something spontaneous in this context, Paul sees. This doesn't mean that it can't be something that's prepared um, in advance, but we're not talking about something that's from our own personal experience or an issue that's present. It's something that God kind of brings to mind. Um, in the context of a gathering, um, so prophecy is not, for instance, uh, in the occasion where you know you and your spouse or friend are having an argument in the car, and you can see they're struggling with impatience again. And then and when the when you get to church and you come in the gathering, you feel the Lord giving you a word about impatience, and so you come up and say, oh, "I just feel there's like someone struggling with impatience here," and that's that's no, that's your situation. That's that's not. Paul understands as as the gift of prophecy. Okay, spontaneous. Thirdly, uh, involves, at least in some instances, a disclosing of the heart. Paul sees this instance where an unbeliever comes into the church, uh, there's a prophecy made, and it kind of exposes that person's heart, and it leads to their conversion. And I think that's, that's something that's kind of akin in my experience of seeing this gift used is that often a word of prophecy identifies some sort of secret sin or struggle and brings a word of encouragement or a scripture that deeply edifies that person. Prophecy, and perhaps one of the biggest things that Paul is bringing up over and over again, he says it so many times, is that it's for the building up of the church. That's what Paul has against tongues in church, is that if it's unintelligible, you can't understand it, then what are you using it for? You know, Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. And when we're gathering as a church, we should be using gifts that that build up the church. And that's why um, Paul goes on and on about the building up of the church and the use of love in chapter 13 and so forth. Because prophecy is a gift that's meant for the building up of the church. Um, And lastly, prophecy is to be earnestly desired by all Christians. Um, Twice Paul says it. Um, He opens with it. Eagerly desire or earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. He ends then with it, as if you hadn't heard it enough times from Paul. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Paul's point is, this is something that should be desired by us. Um, in fact, there's a third time that I left out. In verse 24, Paul talks about that again. Three times, earnestly desire this, says Paul. Well, what are some of the common objections, uh, question number four, to prophecy being used in church? Uh, one that I alluded to before isn't prophecy simply teaching or preaching in the New Testament? And this is quite a common perspective held by of our sort of Reformed brothers. Um, firstly, it doesn't make sense of the instance that Paul describes in chapter 14 where multiple people are coming up and where what is being said is being weighed and um, and and kind of considered. Um, if what we were talking about is preaching, Paul's quite clear that um, men or elders in the church uh, That are given the authority to preach and teach uh, Men that are meant to be trustworthy and proven That are basing their teaching Based upon the word of God um, It wouldn't make sense that someone would override Then uh, what's being said More than that uh, It wouldn't make, make sense that There'd be multiple messages Or someone might rule out someone else's message Or you know it's, it's not, it's not, It doesn't make sense with how we understand Preaching and teaching in the New Testament More than that, the word um, profiteo in the New Testament simply doesn't mean preaching or teaching. There's a separate group of words that we use, the kirkma words in Greek that refer to preaching and teaching. Um, The word "propheteo," if you look at the Greek lexicons, has kind of three main sort of meanings that it means. It means kind of inspired revelation, or it means to reveal what is hidden, or it means to tell the future. But it doesn't mean to teach and it doesn't mean to preach. It's a different group of words altogether. Well, a second common objection is that not just isn't it simply teaching the New Testament, but isn't it too subjective? Some people might think, isn't it too kind of feelings-based and isn't it too open and prone to being misinterpreted um, and so therefore not to be used? I got this great quote by Wayne Grudem, which comes from his Systematic Theology. And he says, "For, For Christians, and it's on your sheet, who are completely evangelical, doctrinally sound, intellectual and this is in regards to this object uh, this this uh, objection isn't it too subjective doctrinally sound intellectual and objective probably what is needed most is the strong balancing influence of a more vital subjective relationship with the Lord in everyday life and these people are also those who have the least likelihood of being led into error for they already place great emphasis on solid grounding in the Word of God yet there is an opposite danger of excessive reliance on subjective impressions for guidance, And that must be clearly guarded against. People who continually seek subjective messages from God to guide their lives must be cautioned that subjective personal guidance is not a primary function of New Testament prophecy. They need to place much more emphasis on Scripture and seeking God's sure wisdom written there. I think there's something in that quote for everyone. Um, Some of us are more likely to write it off. Wayne Grudem's saying, I think for us, we need to really think about the dynamic subjective element of a relationship with god that we have and and enjoy and this should really challenge us to think more about that but some of us equally and in the opposite direction we can be very feelings led and very subjective and we need to think more about uh focusing on solid objective truth and what god says to us through his word um recognizing that new testament prophecy is primarily its purpose is building up the church and not um primarily in sort of personal guidance um Thirdly, how can we how can something that is from God be fallible? It's a good question. Um, I think the point is not that the, the message is uh, necessarily fallible per se, but obviously it can be open to being fallible, but the vessel transmitting the message is fallible right And that is that God uses fallible people, um, subjective people, um, to, to to speak to people at times and we get it wrong um, so we build on what's written um, in the word of God um, and I think that's where we need to really be basing everything we're weighing against the word of God Fourthly, um, and a common one objection that isn't the gift of prophecy. Didn't the gift of prophecy end with the apostles? And people often will quote Hebrews uh, chapter one verses one and two. In the Old Testament, God used the prophets. Now He has Jesus Christ. Hasn't prophecy come to an end? Um, I think Paul clearly instructs that there's a gift of prophecy in First Corinthians 14. And um, I think also what we've understood just from our class today is that Paul, uh, the writer of the Hebrews more is is talking about that the nature of prophecy has changed. We don't have Old Testament prophets anymore Um, The next two questions really I want to end with and opening it up to the floor Um, questions 5 and 6 on your sheet I want to ask you guys um, question 5, how might you discern whether what you have on your heart is prophetic Um, and not just like your thoughts or feelings um, why don't we spend the last kind of 10 minutes kind of thinking about these two questions um, has anyone got any thoughts? how might you discern? You, you're in singing church you've got a, a stirring in your heart um, what resources do you have open to you to discern and what things might help you to discern whether or not this is really from God or it's just kind of what's what you're feeling at the moment yeah absolutely yeah Yep, definitely, um, and that's the idea of being weighed, isn't it? Weighed against scripture. Yeah, Maddie, sorry. No, I was just thinking of verse 29, let the others weigh what he said. Yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. discernment from others. Yeah, that's that's another really important one. What do other people what do other people see um, as you get input from it? Does it resonate? Even the person that you might feel it's for, does it resonate for them? Mm-hmm. Um, God gives us other people to help us discerning in those sort of things. Um, well, I've got any, anyone else got other things that they might want to add about concerning? I've got a couple of other things that I think are there to help us. Um, firstly, and all things were kind of mentioned already, is it spontaneous? Um, a good question to ask yourself. Um, like we said before, the classic one is, am I here in the midst of an argument? And the person I actually have in mind is the person I'm having an argument with with a word from God, I think... Um, I think that's a classic one. Or maybe you're someone who's doing it tough and you repeatedly have a word for people that are doing it tough. Um, you know, that just might be a situation, not to say that God couldn't speak to people doing it tough in and through you, but it might be a situation where you're actually speaking out of subjective experience. Yep? Can I ask what that's spontaneous? If people come and say, oh, this was in my quiet time this morning, yep. and then sharing it later because it felt of your heart, to see that still is... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I guess we're talking about where... There's been a situation, right? And then suddenly, you know, you've got you know this word that applies to that specific situation. You've got a person directly in mind because you've just been chatting to them. It's not something, some aspect of a revelation from God or a sense that maybe God might be addressing someone. Yeah. So, yep. And it's different to like having a word for someone, isn't it? Because there's like a near analysis. Yeah, look, I think I think um, that's a really good point, Nikki. And I think there is kind of a bit of an overlap because, like, um, Paul also talks about you know words of wisdom, um, a word of knowledge. Um, people spend a lot of time talking about what these things might be, and I wonder whether or not maybe there's some overlap in these things. Um, but I think the the big element and what you know what we're saying that prophecy is here is that it's. Um, uh, a word from God, a message from God that's spontaneously brought to mind that's for a person or situation or something like that. That's the New Testament kind of understanding of prophecy. It can be fallible, it can be wrong. But So the way in which that works, it's primarily in this passage for building up of the church, but that could be building up an individual Christian as part of the church. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's something that God's bringing to mind. So yeah, I could see how it could be specifically for someone in that situation, but... Uh, whether there's a bit of overlap there with a word of knowledge or something, I don't really know for sure and I think all of us kind of are a little bit have to be humble at this point and say you know, I don't think it's 100% clear Um, but is that helpful? I think that could definitely be something that's a a word of prophecy that you know, it's something God's laid on your heart it's for someone, a specific situation that you feel God's given you something to encourage them yep Um, and the other thing that I want to mention which is a real point in Chapter fourteen that people don't often talk about, and that is clarity. Um, one of the big things that Paul is talking about over and over again um, is that God's a God of clarity. God's a God that wants to be understood. He speaks, and so I think um, one thing is um, that a word of prophecy it should be clear who it's for and 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 you know kind of what it's what it's about. Not to say that God can't use that. Um, and at times I think the person who knows who it's for will be really clear um, as to, oh this is really for me, but I think that's an important dimension to it as well that there should be a degree of clarity I think if it's really vague and, and non-specific and that might be an indication that maybe you know you need to wait on the Lord a bit more to try and discern you know, whether this is for this time or so on and so forth, and again um, coming forward and asking you know, for importing that can be a really helpful thing to do. Um, all right, so I hope that's helpful. Feel free to grab me later on that one. Well, we might move on to the last one. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, often I just pray and say, Lord, is this from you, is this someone or... Great, Matt. And then often he'll make it clear in a certain sense I'll look over and see client yeah Great. Yeah, great. That's a great... Absolutely That's a really good one, and I'm sorry I left that one out. Yeah, fantastic, Matt. Thanks for that. Good pick up. Um, All right, question six, and then I've got two questions for you guys to think about, and hopefully we'll have some things um, that opportunity to ask some questions in the last few minutes. Paul says um, that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. How might we eagerly grow, or how might we grow in eagerly desiring prophecy to prophesy? um I've got three things here, and then maybe we'll just open it up for some questions. Um I think one thing in my experience with this, I'm no expert in this, I'm not uh, you know someone who's often stepping out in faith and having a sensible word and things. I you know. Um but the times when God has used me in that way, I think coming prepared is really important, like being at a place of um, waiting on the Lord, you know, like our minds and our hearts, we don't naturally gravitate towards the things of God. Um, I, and I, I find I wake up and I'm distracted, I'm thinking about a million different things. Um, but waking up early and meditating on God's word and asking God, you know, would you use me in this this morning? You know, Is there anyone this morning at church who you might be wanting me to speak to and encourage and, and, and pray for? Um, you know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, after talking about, um, God's giving good gifts, he ends it more after talking about the Father, who which Father would give a scorpion, so on and so forth, he ends it with how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, how much more will God grant your request to be used by him? Um, and I think that applies for life group and the church as well, coming prepared and, and asking God, do you want to encourage me? Do you want me to encourage someone with the word? Lord, lay it on my heart and praying about it as Matt talks about. Um, secondly, I think coming on time, you know, if you if you're coming late to church and you're miss, missing the worship service, you're in a rush. I think you're going to really struggle with this. Um, you're going to find it really hard. Um, come early. Come to our prayer meetings at ten o'clock and, and pray and ask God to help you. Um, and thirdly, step out in faith. Matt excels in this. Um, he's brave in stepping out in faith, and and sometimes it means getting turned down. Um, but but be bold. I mean, trust God with that. Um, if you sense God's put something on your heart go for it you, know? um, you might have misheard but you will be faithful um, and that's what counts I've got two questions at the end eight and nine I want you just to think about those um, areas for each of you are you someone who's more intellectual word based and objective but less familiar with the spiritual gifts how might you grow in attentiveness to your subjective relationship with the Lord and pursuit of prophecy And are you someone who's more led by your feelings? Are you naturally more attentive to your subjective relationship with the Lord? How might you grow in understanding and knowledge of scripture to help you navigate your practice of spiritual gifts? So have a think about those. But let's end with just a couple of minutes on some questions. Um, Specifically, what if anything maybe we've missed in our study? Um, Or is there anything that was unclear or maybe you'd you'd like us to explore a a bit further? No, it's brilliant I'm just wondering because you mentioned prophecy being for the church is there ever cases where the prophecy is for yourself like can God speak to the heart of your own in the future like a person Yeah, I can envisage that happening yep that God is kind of addressing you and putting playing things on your heart Um, that's a good one I haven't really given that a lot of thought to be honest Nikki Um, whether or not Yeah. And I guess God is constantly doing that that for all of us, you know. Whether we describe that more as just conviction from the Holy Spirit or something, or but maybe (laughs) we're talking about more some things for the future or something that uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. I I guess so, you know, in in some sense. But I think the usual application of this is towards others, towards the building up of the church. The idea is is that it's kind of an outward within the body focus. Yeah. Great question though. Give that's given by God Does it mean all Christians could potentially have it, or is it yeah I, Christians can't? I think so i think all Christians can potentially prophesy and that's why paul's addressing everyone when he says eagerly desire this you know but the point of eagerly desire or earnestly desiring is not a guarantee that god will use you in that way i think it is a gift you know it's grace it's a charisma you know so Um, yeah, but that there's a possibility and potential for all Christians to be able to be used in this way Mm -hmm. Um, Rach go for it, um, might have to be our last one unfortunately Um, just as a wife thinking about this do you think um, as a form of honouring my husband, if I feel like I have a word, would I talk to him about it first and then if is that a thing or not really? Yeah, look, I think um, I don't think that's addressed in Scripture about the outworking practice of whether or not you must in all circumstances. But you know what? I think um, you know wives are given husbands, particularly in the instance of a godly man who loves the Lord, as is in your situation. Um, to be spiritual leaders of your home and there's definitely no harm in that it's definitely a good thing to be seeking the counsel of your husband um, you know whether or not it's always going to be appropriate in all circumstances to as a rule to do that they'll be like every time you feel God's put something in your heart to always be addressing you know asking your husband for import and that there just might be times where you don't even have the chance to do that you know it might be just you know you're with someone and then God lays something really on your heart you just feel like oh, like I feel like this is for you do you know what I mean like Um, yeah, but I think it's a good principle and practice, yeah, to, to be, to be asking others, but specifically those closest to you that have been put into it, yeah. Well, guys, I'm really sorry. We kind of ran it a little bit out of time. I was hoping for a bit more time for questions, but it's 47 past nine, so we do have to stop. So why don't I pray and let you go? If you want to hang around and ask more questions, feel free. No promise of answers, but we can have a conversation about it anyway. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, uh, that you're a God who gives gifts. You're a gracious God giver of many gifts Um, you equip your church fully with everything they need to be able to glorify you and to be able to send your gospel forward and we want to thank you for that thank you for giving us the gift of prophecy thank you that you're a god that holds all things the present the future our hearts our minds all of it is held in your hands and you know it all and yet you would at times give us specific words to encourage us and address us personally in the different things we're going through. And um, so, Lord, we just pray for all of us. Help us to earnestly desire this spiritual gift. Help us to use it with grace, um, with humility, and with boldness of faith. Lord, to step out in faith to see you lift it up. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.